gents and gender fluid friends, it's time again for Healthcare is Hilarious. Yes, it's me, Casey Quinlan, Mighty Casey on the interwebs, with another snark-filled hot take on healthcare. A let's make fun of the ridiculous, give credit to the awesome, working to make you laugh and think at the same time. This episode has some slices from a debate I had with Neam Yaragai about whether or not people should be cut in on the gold being mined from the data all of us create every day in the digital economy. That happens with all parts of our digital lives, from online shopping to getting medical care. This was not my first steel cage match with Neam. We had disagreed about whether or not online reviews of doctors by patients were a good idea back in 2015. This was our second go-around from opposite sides of an issue. Health tech guru Jan Oldenburg moderated this conversation. The video of our entire conversation is up on YouTube. It's an hour long, so back a lunch. There's a link to the vid plus a link to the transcript of the whole enchilada in the show notes, along with other relevant links to stuff that we refer to in the discussion. Here's Jan's intro to the debate. I wanted to actually start us out um, with a quote from an article about uh, startups mining the healthcare gold rush. Um, They basically say that patients generally accept giving information to doctors in return for better health care. Consumers also accept giving some personal data to commercial companies in return for benefits, such as discounts. But these are two clearly established contexts for data sharing, but they have very different motivations and mindsets and assumptions that go with them. When commercial companies are involved in health services and in health research, the distinction between these contexts collapses. Unsure whether we are using a service or making a transaction, we find it harder to assess the risks and benefits of our data being made accessible. My POV on what the issue is here, including my social enterprise, not socialism, rallying cry. I agree that having just one sole owner in this zone is a bit problematic, but I will go back again to my point that I do think that looking at this and absent just patient data, talking about all the data that citizens create, of which certainly health data is a piece, but looking at this as as the ultimate opportunity to create a new economy. My, My meme or my mantra around this is social enterprise, not socialism. I do think that um, having the person who creates the data have primary ownership rights with stewardship assigned to those who may be you know, able to use it in a meaningful way in a transaction that does not involve direct payment. In other words, you know, could, but like, okay, I'm doing this and it's because I went to the hospital. And, you know, the hospital data is now primarily mine, but there's a co-ownership and a stewardship piece with the doctor and the hospital and, um, you know, my insurer who is paying for this or Medicare or Medicaid, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, I really think that the paradigm of, ownership is almost problematic right now because there's enough emerging enterprise around this concept of people having primary ownership rights to their data that there you know uh, there's uh, companies I'm you know looking at the list here there's humantive citizen humanity and some others that are looking at helping 
people, and they're all in the healthcare space, to be clear. They're looking at ways to help people aggregate their data and then work together as opposed to just being a single patient out there. Oh yeah, you got my thing and I want 50 cents for every exchange. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that, that would be unwieldy and I'm not expecting anyone on the data aggregator side. In other words, the people who are getting the data and doing something with it, I'm not expecting them to come up with a monetization play. I do think that it's on us, the citizens to start figuring out both that we want this and also creating frameworks where that can happen. I think that gathering together in co-ops and other group structures will force this to become at least a topic for discussion and possibly an economic movement. We have to get started somewhere. So that's why I'm rattling around out here saying, I want you to pay me for my data. And here's how, you know, I think that this could work. And the way that it could work is to band together in in co-ops. Me again on how health data is not necessarily safely stored in a walled garden. I will say that even the clinically created data, i.e., you know, hospital stays, etc., is still part of the larger data set that is being mined, quote-unquote, de-identified although that induces a horse laugh every time I hear it because I do know about LaDonia Sweeney's work. But, um, you know, I just, I, I think that there's very little way to separate that out. I mean, granted, in the, the stuff that's in the EHR, again, the, the electronic health record, and, you know, the billing stuff from your insurer or Medicare or Medicaid, is protected under HIPAA. It is, you know, supposed to be inside a walled garden. Uh, sometimes that's not so much, um, but it, it gets the, the question gets polluted, and so does the data security thereof. When people, as they are want to do, have conversations and you know activities outside the walled garden around the issue that they're dealing with, you know, I mean, all you have to do is go on Facebook. You find every patient community and every condition community under you know the sun. And oh, by the way, in case you didn't know, all that data is out there in the wild unless it was created since late July. And even then, I think Facebook hasn't really plugged the holes. But you know, damn. Neam's take on data storage and aggregation using a warehouse analogy. Uh, when we're talking about co-ops, we're in essence, we're talking about an economic model in which a group of people uh, share their resources together in order to finance an IT infrastructure that can store that data and clean that data and also uh, you know, protect that data against uh, many different privacy risks and security breaches that we may potentially have. And if you do that, uh, I, I, I think you have all the rights to your data. Why? Because you have built a warehouse, a digital warehouse. You're paying for that warehouse and you want to store something that belongs to you. All right. And nobody has any rights to that. However, if I say I am not going to pay for that warehouse and I just want to store my belongings into that warehouse and I at the same time, do not want to allow whoever has invested in building and managing and protecting that warehouse to, to benefit from my belongings there. Uh, it's, it's financially impossible. You cannot do that. You know, the very, you, so you may uh, succeed in uh, setting up a law that says it is completely illegal for anybody to have financial gains from sharing uh, patient data. Uh, that is totally possible 
what will happen immediately after is that all of these businesses who have invested in this will go out of business. Then I will be left with keeping my own medical records and Casey and I should sit together to think how we can build a co-op to keep those records. My comments on that warehouse analogy and some observations about human nature when it comes to marketplace thinking. Because when you're dealing with human beings, you have to remember that you're talking about humans. Now, the warehouse analogy, the <laughs> warehouse analogy has legs because that, <clears throat> that does make it clear that it's like, okay, so a dude has a, some, a thing, you know, a, you know a, a lump of thing, and then there's another group person, enterprise, whatever, that has a storage place, we will call it a warehouse, for that thing. And this guy wants to put his thing in that warehouse but not pay for it. And that's as crazy as a guy saying, I'm going to build a warehouse that's going to encompass the entire goddamn town, and then you're going to have to pay me to live in the town. That's kind of the way we have got a lot of the points of view around data aggregation and data used for commercial purposes when the people who create that data are not really cut in in any way on the interest, the financial interest in that data beyond being told that they'll have some cool thing down the way that they can, you know, that, that, that will be delivered to them, that then they can buy at a discounted price. Wait a minute. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's like, I, I do think that we, as a society, as a, as a species, are going to have to start having some really hard discussions around this because so, the current capitalism yeah. model, as, po you know, as positive as it was for a lot of people, really, if you look at it, the way it's spun out is it turned into a really good wealth concentration model. So now if we're going to move humanity forward, how about we come up with a new model that lets the capital still aggregate and that you know the people who actually produce things can can win you know for themselves and their and their group based on their contributions but that we don't run over the rest of humanity with big old tank treads while we're doing it using the data that they create to create this brave new world neem doesn't think data is sacred it's just ones and zeros i push back or if i say patient's data it's just like soda cans well, I, I don't think data is sacred in any way, means, or form, okay? It is just something that we emit uh, as ones humans. Ones and zeros. Then the second thing is you said you are uh, describing these uh, digital platforms that store data as warehouses. Well, it is not a metaphor that I mean. It's literally its name. It's called digital warehousing in information systems tools. Uh, many of us teach data warehousing. So it is literally something. And it is not a warehouse that encompasses the whole town. Or even if it is, I give you an example. The, we have an example in, in real life, the taxes that I pay uh, to, uh, for, for my property. You know, it is impossible to build a house anywhere in the United States without paying property taxes. Uh, and as a resident of Connecticut, I, as you can imagine, I'm not happy with those property taxes. I lived in New York for years. I know how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so, so at, but at the same time, I understand that if I want to be able to send my child to a good school, I have to pay those taxes. So it, I, if, if there is somebody who believes that these property taxes are outrageous, 
At the same time, they cannot argue that, oh, I want a free public school as well. So you, you can only have one of these two things. You either have to pay property taxes or uh, you're going to have, uh, you know, private schools. You cannot have uh, a situation which says that, you know, uh, it is impossible to have a house built anywhere in the United States without paying taxes. I don't like this system. And at the same time, I want a really good public education system. So, well, you've just described a lot of problems around the public education system in this country, but we're not here to talk about that. Put a pin no, in no, no, no. I just wanted to, you know, that's <laughs> the point that you were, you were making, you know. And then the third thing, you, you told that I'm a capitalist. Although I do not take any offense in that, I am a capitalist, proudly. But uh, I don't think that even if you were a socialist uh, to whatever definition it may have, uh, if you're, let's say, not a capitalist is a better definition, you can go anywhere. I mean, you cannot avoid math. And, uh, it, you know, if you, if you really want to have a system in which the patient's data is not monetized, or if it's monetized, patients get their share, I think you should also start thinking about, okay, how am I going to build that infrastructure? No, I mean, social enterprise, not socialism. I think, you know, that's, yeah. like I said, I'm going to become boring on this. But um, because that's sort of my, you know, my tagline right now for this topic. But, uh, you know, that's why I see the, um, you know, the, the, the social enterprise piece as being um, key to, you know, the co-op deal, you know, what I was, you know, speaking of before, the aggregation of the humans who have an interest in this to come together to create their own aggregation of data that they can then put out or, you know, make available to whomever. And I mean, some of the not commercial, you know, things that are active right now in that area um, are all of Corey Painter from the Broad Institute's projects around, you know, the metastatic um, breast cancer project and the angiosarcoma project, et cetera, where people who are affected by those diseases and who have, you know, genomic data and other, you know, treatment data are aggregating it and they're turning it into a giant learning machine to try to figure out how to defeat these, these cancers, come up with new treatments. But, you know, that, I don't know what the model is there, if there is one on a commercial side, because I know that Corey, being a pure scientist, is probably not thinking about money in this. And most researchers in that zone don't necessarily, unless they're, you know, they're inside pharma. But anyway, um, I do think that, that looking at this as an opportunity to start creating a new economy, um, one that because capitalism in its current form has, again, turned in, you know, seemed to turn into a really good wealth concentration engine. And it's, you know, it's like, I don't have anything against the idea that somebody could get really, really, really rich. But the issue that I have is that there are so many people who are struggling, despite the fact that they work and, you know, whatever they just, can, you know, we need to come up with some sort of a, a, an opportunity engine for people who don't come from inherited wealth, can't go to college for whatever reason, um, or, you know, or maybe they're just brilliant at being a diesel mechanic. It doesn't matter. But, you know, where people who can start to figure out how to bring their best gifts to bear on their life in the world 
rather than just having to, you know, yoke themselves to, a, you know, minimum wage job ad infinitum because they cannot climb out of that pit. Neem talks about some areas where intentional health data exchange driven by patients could be interesting. A while ago, I actually wrote an article and even proposed uh, to some extent a business model that enables that choice. You know, I think when you give patients choice, they can benefit both economically and medically. Uh, the example that I gave, for example, was about Alzheimer's disease uh, and the research that shows, uh, uh, you know, if you catch it early, uh, then you could have much more success in dealing with it and treating it. And what the point that I was raising is that uh, I really, as a patient, am very, uh, uh, as an individual, I'm very concerned about this. And if there was a system that I could share my data with researchers or even for-profit organizations that could use that data in order to predict if in, let's say, the next 10 years, I will become an Alzheimer's patient, uh, they, ca they could catch it right now and help me fight it. Uh, and, and there, I was even advocating for identified data because there are some people like me who are willing to share uh, at least a part of their data, let it be medical or non-medical, for purposes uh, such as a system that tells me that if you share your data with me, I will tell you when you will have Alzheimer's. You know, that is a sweet deal. I, I even went forward and said, there are instances that identified data is so valuable that people may tell me, we're going to pay you for your data and build that system and let people who are, you know, want to make some money out of their data, which they're rightly so entitled to, be able to get reimbursed for that. You know, the whole notion behind it is that uh, for any financial transaction, uh, I as a patient should, you know, demonstrate value. And those two examples, I think, cases where uh, patients significantly create value and they should be compensated for that. So uh, that, that is one thing. Then the other thing is that there was a time not so long ago that we as individuals or as uh, Casey wants to refer citizens, we're not very aware of what is it that we are doing online, okay? Nobody read and nobody still reads those uh, terms of use and agreements. However, I think people have a pretty good idea about uh, the risks that, are, that they are taking when they go online. You know, uh, somebody many years ago, I think uh, it was the CEO of, uh, of I, I don't exactly remember which of these companies, but said, get over it, there's no such thing as privacy. And uh, although it's uh, very uh, unfortunate, but I think he was right, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 and there is a good reason for that. Because, and I wrote an article when the GDPR came out, uh, arguing that we as individuals are paying for the services and products in a new currency. And that currency is our privacy, our private information. So private information has a value. So rather than paying Google uh, for a subscription, I tell Google or I implicitly agree with Google that you can uh, 
take my private information, monetize it, and in return, let me use your services for free. Uh, so I, I, I think that issue of awareness uh, along, to, uh, you know, as time goes by, gets uh, much better, although it's not going to be solved uh, completely. And if there is any effort that tries to bring awareness about uh, these terms of conditions and the risks that individuals take when they go online or where they share their data with these different organizations, I'm all about it. I'm all for it. I weigh in with a consent matters thing. The issue I think really needs to be solved with some kind of a universal consent document, if it, if you would, where there's different levels of, you know, this, we're going to, we're just going to see that you're here. We're going to see that you're here and we're going to know who you are. We're going to see who, you know, that you're here. We're going to know who you are and we're going to know all kinds of things about you based on your presence here, et cetera, and what you do. Um, and, and have that be, you know, like stage one through stage whatever. And, you know, everything from, you know, you're here to you're here and we just gave you an anal probe. You know, and I mean, some people are cool with that. But, um, you know, depending on what they get in exchange. But, I, you know, I think that there's just way too much assumption, both on the part of the citizen and the part of the provider of this service, whatever it is, that, um, oh, everything's going to be okay. And, I mean, I, I kind of have fallen into there is no privacy. There should be, you know, it's like I fall on both sides of that line depending on the day. But the thing that um, disturbs me the most is the fact that so much of our data, particularly around health, is, is somehow being weaponized against us now, where um, either we're being targeted for ads and services that we're not really sure why, you know, how did you find out about that? Because it's coming from somebody that is not who we thought we were talking to before when we made that disclosure, whatever it is, because of that data, you know, handoff. And however de-identified it is, um, it, it, I do think that based on the granular level of data that's available on some of these data profiles that are wandering around out there being sold, it's very easy to figure out who it is that this data set describes. And uh, because of that, um, that, you know, I think that this would you know, flatten the playing field a little bit, you know, the power paradigm, whatever you want to call it, uh, if people, citizens, were both more aware of what they were handing over through this, you know, consent document, and also on the other side, that the providers of services that were collecting this information and asking for this permission um, would have to be honest and clear. In other words, plain language on one page, here's what we're doing, check the boxes that you're okay with. This already exists. Check the boxes that you're okay with, you know, and the stuff that you don't check, we're gonna recognize you, we can't do. And then, and then just act accordingly, for God's sake instead of shifting the rules behind the, behind the curtain. Neem and I work toward consensus. Nowadays, people go to all, all sorts of online websites and, you know, disclose uh, very private information about themselves to people whom they don't know. So I think uh, for a typical person, it really matters if my neighbor who says hi to me every morning knows some private information about me 
or it is some Silicon Valley intern that uh, there is zero chances that he or she will ever meet you. Okay, uh, that that's one thing. Now, when it comes about the data use, I think it is not a zero sum game. If somebody uses the data that I have created in order to target and add specifically for me, uh, and I purchase a product or service or medication or whatever that is, it, does he won and I lost? I don't think so. I think if the if the ad is targeted and it increases the likelihood of purchase, it, it means that a really good trade has been, you know, uh, occurred, which means that we both have benefited. Remember, not so long ago, those online ads on, in, in every website that you went, there were like 20 different ads flashing and they were really, really annoying. Nowadays, the, these ads are really efficient, super smart, they tell you exactly what you want and reduce the search costs for you. So uh, when we are talking about using our private data for marketing, I am not sure I 100% agree with the fact well, that but, see, when I'm I losing say weaponize, When I say weaponize, I, you know, it's like ad targeting is, is annoying. But, you know, full disclosure, I run an ad blocker on everything, including Facebook, and it ma makes my life so much simpler and stress-free and just less annoying but um yeah that's me and that's my choice and so i do that there are some people who like to see ads i think they're weird but that's another story but as far as weaponized against them the thing that that I, that concerns me and this is a scenario that has played out more than once in my you know view and also i've seen many many stories about this happening to other people that i don't know so you know that there is a family history of something in your family and you choose to outside of your health insurance from your employer go and get some genetic assay done and you get some genetic counseling you self-pay for that you didn't you know it's like and um you have not discussed this with anyone at your employer you are not disclosing this this is not something that is a disease that you have. It's a disease that you are attempting to assess your risk for because there's a heavy, you know, mm -hmm. and it could be anything from hereditary breast cancer to Alzheimer's to you know, mm -hmm. any one of a number of things that are heritable. Now, if that data is de-identified, ha-ha, again, horse lab, and sold, and, um, you know, or say you get the testing done through 23andMe or Ancestry, who de, uh, you know, who aggregate and sell that data all over everywhere, and uh, you know, it's like that's that's a disturbing potential of weaponization. And there are times when that, another, you know, I mean, if you are a um, a relative of the Golden State Killer. Hello, you know, it's like there's, an, I mean, that's not a heritable thing, committing mass murder or serial killer or whatever, at least I hope not. But the fact that that data was so searchable and findable within a law enforcement context says that that is also searchable and findable. And I don't think that it would take that much for somebody to figure out how to do that because I know they've already done it. That's the discussion. Would love to hear your thoughts. Share those in comments here on Patreon or over on Twitter or Facebook. If you do comment on Twitter or Facebook, 
use the hashtag FYPMData. Fuck you, pay me data. America, it's a wonderful country. Just don't get sick. There won't be a healthcare is hilarious next week because next Thursday is Thanksgiving. I'm taking the day off and turkeys across America should be scared. <laughs> See you guys on the flip side and that will be Thursday, November 29th. Talk to you then. Healthcare is Hilarious is sponsored by Danny Van Leeuwen, also known as Health Hats. With his diverse and prolific health experience, Danny uses his multiple hats to empower people as they travel toward their best health. To join Danny on that best health journey, follow along on his blog. 